Welcome to the A to Z Running Podcast, where we help runners thrive. I'm Andy. And I am Zach. And up next, we discuss training specificity and common approaches to training pace. And after that, world of running updates about Chicago Marathon and a crazy new AR running tech. Don't forget, if you would like to submit a question before the end of month Q&A episode, go to a tozrunning.com slash question, and there you can share any of the relevant details, and we will answer it on air at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. Now, last week on the World of Running segment, we spoke about the Twin Cities Marathon, and the winner, who is Jessica Wachiewicz, and she gave us a direct quote. I reached out to her and I said, do you have any inspiration or advice for our listeners? And she graciously wrote back, you don't always have to have a perfect buildup to have a great race. Trusting your fitness and having a positive mindset will take you a long way. Well, I hope so, because I have never had a perfect buildup. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so. that's one of those things that I think we all hope for, and it's easy to, to get discouraged when there's bumps in the road, but to expect it, to embrace it, to move forward with positivity, and also know that you've built some really great fitness and understanding what that means to have good training. That was a really great piece of advice from Jessica. We appreciate her, and we congratulate her on her Twin Cities Marathon win, as well as her Olympic Trials Marathoner, Marathon Qualifier, so excellent. excellent. Mm-hmm. Now, we do have a code that we are promoting this month, and it's the She Birdies. She's Birdies code A to Z15, and that is a self-protection device. It is an alarm that you carry on your person if you're running or you're in your car or work, wherever you may be, just an extra layer of protection to be heard when there is an emergency. So it's a sound alarm, a sound alarm. And you will be heard. You will be heard. It is loud. Several states <laughs> over. Yeah. Now let's get on to our main topic. All right. With much excitement and great ado, our main topic today is pace. You've heard us mm. discuss it. Well, perhaps you've heard us not discuss it. <laughs> In fact, deliberately ignore it when it's asked about well no we don't ignore it we, we don't talk. ignore it but uh but we talk we, about it in a different way than we, a lot of training philosophies and so as as it were what we thought we would do here for the topic is in fact talk about those main and major training philosophies uh including those that inform our primary considerations as coaches ourselves currently, um, but also just like where where do most of these ideas tend to come from when people are talking about pace or effort or both or some you know training approaches? Yeah, we wanted to kind of break that down a little bit here, and especially confer upon you the imperatives that drive the thinking behind these philosophies. And at the end, our intent here is not to tell you what you should think, although I probably will at some point. Because I have a tendency to do that. He does. It's like a reflex. Just, <laughs> um, But rather, we want to present you essentially with the schools of thought and give you the chance to kind of say, which one of those seems to be the thing that would direct me to my best runner self? Okay. All right. Does that sound fair? 
fairer than Zach just saying what you should do. I, I think okay. it's good that you're going to go through some of the different philosophies. I think it's good. It's fun. It's, at a very minimum, it's fun. Okay, so first, uh, recall our previous conversation. If you listened to, I think it was back in May of 2022, we had an episode about how to run by effort. And that was our effort-based training approach. That's uh, not ours. That's certainly something that many have uh, aspired to as well as, uh, you know, it's been created by other people, certainly than us. But um, the point being, we broke that down at length. And so if you've never listened to that particular conversation, it's highly valuable because it's going to inform a number of the specifics that we won't get into here. However, we're going to get into the specifics on the other side of the reflection in more detail because that approach, that effort-based approach, is itself kind of an anomaly in today's contemporary yeah. running uh, schema. Right. And I had not until studying running, I hadn't heard of this approach. So it e had been... based Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. I guess I didn't... Yeah. I just had always thought about my pace a whole lot. Mm -hmm. So... I think that it's going to be good for us to go into this conversation because a lot of us have revelations when it comes to training and running and then finding our best um, wherever we're at now. So it, it's going to be a good conversation. So so buckle up for uh, Zach's <laughs> in-depth. <laughs> in-depth. It's not Zach's. It's all these authors. Um, it, so here's the kind of the catalyst. Uh, nearly every training approach uses some kind of pace reference point in the prescription like here's what you should do and at what pace kind of thing um and as well then in competition as a matter of fact even more of them use it in competition than do just in training and so you're going to see that all the time and the question becomes well where did that come from and what what is it an intending to do um in terms of why people are doing that so let's let's break it down and start with the one who might be considered to be the purest purist on the pace side of the conversation and that is jack daniels the the coach not the not the other Beverage. thing um so jack daniels is believed to be the authority on like running science in terms of training um he daniel's running formula you know he wrote the book that basically like said to everyone that his running formula is you know that all these there's a lot of good stuff in there a lot of good stuff the point yeah. is is that he is kind of like the one that uh people refer to as the gold standard for these things um in many ways and so most famously jack daniels developed the v dot tables which is a familiar concept to many, even if you don't know the phrase V dot tables, um, it's familiar. And what it is, is these are the pace charts. These are the pace charts that say, if you've done this, then you should be able to do all of these things. So a, f a fit enough person to run 16 minutes in a 5,000 meters should then also be able to run 33 minutes in a 10,000. And, you know, it goes down the line up and down. Now, of course, there's many assumptions that are made. Like, you know, if you've run this in a mile, then can you run this in a marathon? Well, in theory, yes, but... You also you have to, have to be able it. to be it's prepared, well prepared for a marathon, <laughs> right? Uh, the same training does not yield the same results. So, in in all of that, these V dot tables are a VO two maxed max based perspective, and in fact, the V dot comes from the the use of if you do VO two max in the the most scientific form, then the V has a dot over it because we're talking about then. Um, 
specifically a measurement of time where that volume of oxygen is measured and it's one minute that's the point of reference that they use and so if you see vo2 max with the dot over the v that's an even more precise measurement that they're trying to get at or i guess it's more comparable like you can compare it more easily to other things because they're all using this minute reference point mm -hmm. so that's what v dot in fact comes from i didn't make that up or come up with that with myself they just explain it in the book so the point being here, the VDOT tables are intended to be the resource for a runner in any training program to find what pace should I run for X. And it's everything. Easy paces, long run paces, repetitions of 400 meters, repetitions of 800 meters, intervals of a mile, all of the stuff. And they have it very clearly prescribed. And then the suggestion over the course of everything you read in Jack Daniels running formula is that you should try to use those pace prescriptions as a reference point for all of the workouts you're doing. And in fact, they actually get even more uh, numbers oriented than that because they created a point system. Daniels and uh, John Gilbert, I think is his name, was his compatriot when they were creating all of these things in the 70s. Believe it or not, they started oh, wow. in the 70s. Wow. Um, so when they were beginning their work, they would take they would take everything and assign a point value to it. How much or how long you go, how fast you go, um, how frequently you go hard, you know, how rarely you go hard, all that kind of stuff. And so there's point values. And then it was basically like your given week of training should have a certain point total. And so it's not just that you do this workout of these certain paces, but you also make sure that it's balanced out by having the right point total for the week. It's crazy. Really fun stuff if you like the data and the numbers and as you all recall there was a point in time not terribly long ago when i was incredibly obsessed with the data and the numbers um so i have loads of fun reading this book it's also highly inaccessible to read through the book at a kind of like at a glance because everything has like abbreviations and references to other things in the book so you have to really understand study the it. formula well well and study before it. it makes a lot of sense yes that's think the about point. it yeah, reread. So ultimately, what we're trying to get at here is that Jack Daniels' approach is the essence of pace-focused approach. Not to suggest that there isn't any room for other kinds of dynamics involved in that, um, but that but that's the nature of what they were trying to do. Is they were trying to take the guesswork out of everything. Uh, these are science guys. That's part of what they like to do in terms of their work in research. Jack Daniels himself is an, an accomplished researcher. He's performed many studies himself or been a part of uh, many studies and identifying what really truly does work or not with some of these things. So there's, there's certainly a lot of important material there. Mm -hmm. But that said, it's basically like everything's got a number and the number is the thing you need to do. And that is a very strong perspective on the pace side of the equation. Mm -hmm. So moving from there, if Jack Daniels is the one that kind of like sets that tone for nearly everything else that's number oriented, then you have some schools of thought that are, well, a, a good example is Hansen's. Hansen's is basically Jack Daniels with some adjustments um, in terms of like the nature of what the program looks like and how you should implement it. So even like Lou Comfrey is the author of the Hansen's marathon method, uh, has a running calculator that he built online. And so you just plug in a couple of numbers and then it spits out the stuff for you. So you don't have to like use the tables that Daniels had that you, you don't have to like cross-reference everything. But his running calculator is basically the VDOT tables plus a few other factors like he adds in humidity. So yeah, if you have, I've seen that a lot this yeah. summer. I was just like throw away. You, there's too many variables because you have one for humidity. How about how well rested you are? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> right. Know, there's a lot of things you could add in. How many variables? But I do appreciate the effort on their part to try to make it more simple for runners. 
yeah, so Luke Humphrey created um, a, a marathon plan approach based off of the same principles um, and, the, and with a, some adjustments. And certainly they're important adjustments in the nature of their argument. Uh, but the point is, is that would be a good example of if you don't know what we're talking about when we say Jack Daniels stuff, if you've done anything that's Hanson's or even like Hal Higdon, a lot of their stuff is similar in kind. Um, so they're based off of the same principles. Then you could take a consideration that Steve Magnus suggests in his book, Science of Running, which we've re referenced a number of times here because he um, gets into a lot of the specific science involved in the physiology and biomechanics of what's going on, which we really appreciate. So what really is happening? Um, one of the things that Magnus introduces as a key consideration here that is not really present in Daniel's formula at all um, is the importance of perceived effort. Now, that is not an unfamiliar term to us today. But when Steve Magnus started writing about this in the early 2000s, it was, in fact, reasonably new and not very well evaluated or studied yet. Um, so, so it's really curious how he's introducing, essentially, to many in the running community uh, the importance of that factor. And here's why, here's why he suggests it's important. First, when you look at things like VO2 max and you're trying to prescribe numbers and paces based off of measurable fitness metrics, um, the challenge there is they have to be very reliable metrics, right? Magnus finds when he reviews the research, and he is the guy who reviews all the research, and he references like every single study in his book. So it's one of those that it's a great read because you can kind of say, okay, what study is he talking about? Let's go read that study and figure out what he means. Um, so anyway, I highly encourage you to read Magnus's book. Don't just take our word for it here. But the point is, is he looks at things with the VO2 max study and he, he says, okay, so there's a lot of data that suggests that VO2 max is not quite as transparent of a fitness metric as we like to think of it. And his main argument is when you look at the the studies, uh, once a runner gets to a point of like a, a highly trained runner, so it's like well experienced, you've been doing this for a while and you're doing quality training over time, um, we start to see some very strange anomalies with VO2 max stuff. Like your VO2 max doesn't necessarily improve when you do things that should improve VO2 max. In some instances, runners VO2 max stayed the same while their fitness performance still increased. Well, how is that possible? If VO2 max is like a, a metric of fitness progress. Obviously, there's other things involved there. In other instances, VO2 max went down while fitness remained steady. So like I was still improving, but my VO2 max numbers weren't quite the same. Um, and the margin of error there was like super slim. And so like sometimes it was high for others and low for others. So what he found in essence with all of that is it's just not itself a reliable or efficacious, we might say, metric for basing our prescriptions on. And then he starts to argue more about this perceived effort stuff. And this is where I just got so intrigued. So he did. I did. He's and been I started, talking I started, about it for a while now. started talking to Andy <laughs> about this hazard thing, and it's just like it's lots of fun. Um, okay, so re relative perceived effort um, or, or other, other uses of the terms, but perceived effort in general uh, is, according to Magnus, is one of the most important factors in the feedback loop because it's the only one that does not require external measurements so like it's the one where i can feel it regardless of anything that's plugged into me right which is why it's perceived effort because it's my perception of my effort and my stress or strain so then let's take into consideration two things the first is that perceived effort relates to the nature of 
what I'm doing and how much I have left to do. And so that's where Magnus was looking at some studies that specifically they measure what they call the hazard score, which is probably something that some of you have heard of because um, you'll see this come up in things like uh, some of the foot pod technology out there, references hazard scores. So they don't always call it hazard scores, but it's the same concept. And so what it means is basically I have like my current moments perceived effort and I multiply that by the fraction of the distance remaining in my run. So if I currently uh, feel bad and I have over half of my run left, then my hazard score is high because I, you know, I'm feeling really bad, but I have a lot of running left to do. If I feel really bad, but I only have a little bit of running left to do, my hazard score is low. Like I can handle this, right? If I feel really good, doesn't matter how much running I have left to do, my hazard score is probably low because I'm feeling good. So that's where this, this perceived effort relates to how much I have left in the run. And it kind of creates a sense of danger is the way that Magnus phrases this. Um, and I think that's really fascinating. That's really compelling because now what we're talking about is that my this perception concept is a really important consideration in the effort side of it because it's influenced by other factors. So then we take, and Magnus basically breaks down, we've got the physical side and the psychological side of perceived effort, and that's really important. But then it gets more interesting because he breaks into what is called the mismatch theory, which is then, of course, how we feel versus mm. how we expected to feel in that moment. And that has an even greater influence on this hazard score side of things, or it's related to it, because now we introduce the point of no matter how I feel in the moment, if I expected to feel better in that moment, my perception of my effort is worse. Like I think my effort is different than it may or may not be. So take into account all the things that might influence that, right? So comparing myself to other people like this augmented reality thing we're going to talk about here in a little bit in the world of running. So compare myself to other people and my expected how I should feel is cued off of what other people are doing. So I should feel good when I'm running with this person. And yet for some reason today, I don't, but in my mind, I should be able to run with that person and feel good. Right? So now that's a problem. Um, how about my watch? And I'm looking at my numbers and I'm saying, well, at this pace, I should feel good in my mind and I don't. And so now that's creating an increased sense of negative perception. And that would okay. be the mismatch that's theory. That's the mismatch theory. Now that is so important when we start talking about all of these numbers and data and pace considerations because what we're not what we're discounting with Jack Daniel's approach with train with pure pace focused training with all these different things is that psychological factor about how I'm perceiving that my expectation of how that should feel and everything involved there. So that adds a layer of complication that heretofore was more or less not attended to by these other thoughts, okay? We're going to come back to that. We're mm -hmm. not done with it, but mm -hmm. we want to continue moving down this, this path. Would you say that people most often when they look at their watch have some sort of mismatch theory? Oh, I, I, think, it's, I think it's guaranteed. I think it's guaranteed because you at some can, point during the race. Yeah, at some point when you're when you're evaluating external objective measures versus how you feel, it's guaranteed that in some moment or another there's a degree of mismatch because I'm placing expectations on all of these things. Like oh, my heart rate's a little bit higher than I thought it should be. Mismatch. My pace is a little bit faster than I thought it should be. 
there's a mismatch. Now that's in that case, that's a positive bias mismatch because now it may in fact help me feel you know better. But the point is with all of these objective measures, it's always creating some kind of tension under this the auspices of this mismatch theory. Mm. Okay, so we have to keep that in mind because it's going to be very important as we march down the ladder. So the conclusion here from Magnus is always include effort as a piece in the puzzle. He does not necessarily at any point in his book argue that that's the only thing that should influence our training prescriptions. Um, however, it's an imperative in, in his uh, arguments in general. So then, then we move on to schools of thought that are more like Jay Johnson. And I really appreciate Jay Johnson's work on a lot of things. Jay Johnson is one of the guys who goes out there and says runners need to be strong animals is our word. He doesn't say that, but we, we need to be strong people. Um, you can't just like run a lot. And uh, so we appreciate that because it is important. The general strength and mobility side of things is a key. And when you look at uh, in Jay Johnson's book, Simple Marathon Training, he uh, has eight principles and like four of them are non-running things. Core workouts are involved in that. Active isolated flexibility is directly referenced. It's actually eight plus one. He has nine principles. Which is Phil Wharton. Yes. Yep. Well, the Whartons. Yep, the Whartons, active isolated flexibility. And he references that directly by name. Um, so anyway, Jay Johnson's got a lot of those kinds of things. Now, here's, here's where things get interesting for me with Johnson. Because in his eight principles, eight plus one, um, number one principle is running by feel. So now we get into this this higher elevation of the importance of running by feel, and he'll go into it in the book. Um, you're all, he a direct quote from the book: "You will often be running workouts where you don't look at your watch at all. You're just trying to feel a certain way, which is that's what we're kind of talking about with uh, some of the expectations of how we're feeling, and not you know you, you remove the expectation when you never look at your watch, right? Um, because you can't know, so your expectation can neither be confirmed nor denied." That's a key factor in this concept that Jay Johnson is talking about. Um, so mismatch theory is overruled in Jay Johnson's approach here. However, principle number eight is marathon pace running. So how do you justify, Andy, that principle number one is running by feel while principle number eight is running by pace? I was under the impression those things are mutually exclusive. Andy's shaking her head. She's like, well, ah. okay. So we've had this conversation. We've discussed yep. the whole idea of of rhythm and the near muscular work that you might do to run a specific pace, but that's usually more applicable to short distances on the track than it is for like a marathon, because the nuances are so are are yeah. you know you're going to be running pretty similarly if you're running you know six minute pace versus six ten pace versus five fifty pace your body is like similarly doing this exact same thing where like if you're opening up and you're running a lot faster that actually feels different and you are working differently as you have your full stride so mm. um uh, yeah when he says to do to the whole rhythm piece you know getting into a rhythm we were discussing this earlier, it can be achieved without having like a specific pace that you're running. But I think that's probably what Jay Johnson is getting at is that falling into a rhythm and a flow that you feel really the word he at. uses is groove groove. Yeah. Um, like the word groove. That, and, and that is in fact the essence of the goal for uh, this principle for Jay Johnson is you're trying to establish this marathon pace groove so that when you get to the race, it's just an autonomic thing. It just happens. Um, he even talks about in the, in the book, 
about part of the groove is even things like just your arm movements while you're running like that. That's just a really familiar thing at that given pace. Um, so the entire premise of Jay Johnson's marathon training plan is that you're going to train to run a single set marathon pace. And that's what you're going to do on race day. So all the preparation, all the training is oriented around that pace. And of course there's, there's more to it than that. Uh, but the point is you get to, you get to the race so that you can run that pace for the marathon. And that's all you do. Now, um, that that's underscored by this quote here from the book. If you want to run a given pace in the marathon, then you should practice running this pace in your training. That's very common. You hear people say that a lot and, and write about it a lot in their books and articles. Um, so you have to be able to, you have to do the pace in training that you're going to do in the race. I, and I think that kind of makes sense in, in essence of like uh, assign it a generate, a general generalization. Um, you can't expect to just run slow all the time and then run lots faster in a race at the end of the season. Even if that running slow all the time makes you super fit, it's going to be very hard for you to run substantially faster in a race, right? Um, in the same token, you can't just run all your workouts, really short, fast things, and then expect to run kind of like a, a long threshold effort level thing for a race because well, that has the, to do with your systems. And... Well, yes, but also the the point being there's a neuromuscular component as as Jay Johnson was okay, getting yeah. to which you suggested. So, yes, that makes sense. But what's interesting here is the premise is you're only going to run that pace. That the end result, a successful experience according to this program is that you run that pace that you train the whole time. Which begs the question, well what if what if that's not the pace? that you can run on that day. What if there's other considerations in training where that pace is not as comfortable one day than it is another? Do you just run it no matter what? In essence, yes. That's the first, that's the first answer to the question. According to Jay Johnson's plan. Yeah. You're going to run it more or less, no matter what, not totally. I'm not at all going to say that Jay Johnson says, no matter how you feel, you must run the pace. But the point is that's kind of the, this concept that he focuses on so ardently so we get to this moment in time where we have uh, we have essentially injected there's a school of thought that's like pace is everything and you base all of your prescriptions what you're going to do on what day on pace recommendations and then you break further away from that and say essentially effort is very important and feel and running by feel is very important but at the end of the thing you're doing you're just trying to run a pace ultimately anyway and then you get to Lydiard. Zach's favorite. I'm not suggesting that there's <laughs> nothing in between that and Lydiard, <laughs> but uh, for the sake of time, we can't talk about every single training approach out there. These, these are just some of the, the big picture ones. Okay, so um, as I mentioned, Jay Johnson is ignoring the fact that all days are not equal. And what feels what pace feels one way, one day, it won't feel the same way another day, and it won't necessarily feel the same way on race day. And so there's a lot of considerations there. Here's Lydiard's response to that in a quote. Uh, this quote, by the way, comes from Keith, Dr. Keith Livingstone's book, Healthy Intelligent Training, where he's quoting Lydiard from like the 1970s. And Lydiard said, always bear in mind that the wise only train according to their age, physical condition, and their capacity to exercise. They learn quickly about themselves and train by that knowledge. So is is Arthur Lydiard calling just about everyone we just read from unwise? Well, no, no, we're not gonna we're not gonna say that. However, um, his point is and always has been from Lydiard's perspective that you do what you are capable of doing on that day 
to achieve the desired goal. So if you've ever heard us say those kinds of things, those are not our words. That's what Lydiard argued from the 1950s when he first started trying to get runners to do what he was telling them to do. Um, so we've got that. Lorraine Moeller, who is known to be like one of the key authorities on the Lydiard training approaches. Um, she was coached by Lydiard and worked with him a bit in helping coach other people as well. Um, and she basically described it succinctly as response-driven and intuitive. You've heard us say intuitive constantly on this show, and that's because we get the concepts from them. So um, Livingstone further quotes uh, that, or rather a quote from Livingstone further articulates that the athlete had to listen to what the body was saying at every stage. And so I'm doing the things based off of what my body's telling me it can do and should do. And so in that instance, they specifically never recommend pace. And any of these things we're talking about here, there's no discussion on pace whatsoever. Now, how can we go from like, it's really important to be able to run this pace so that I can run it in the race, which was Jay Johnson's comment to, it doesn't matter. Don't, you, don't, you don't run specific paces in training, okay? So that's, that's the, the consideration we're at right now. Now, let me read you from running with Lydiard. This is directly now Lydiard's words. Um, this is a story that he likes to tell. And, uh, and I, find, I just find this so entertaining. I've mentioned it on air before uh, in the past, but I've never actually read it directly from the book. So I'm just going to read it. It's very brief. Um, so Lydiard was down at the track one day with one of his runners training for, I don't know if it was the Olympic Games. No, it was the Commonwealth Games. Um, one of New Zealand's top 10,000 meter runners. Okay. And so he's training him for uh, a, a international championship. All right. And they're down at the track and uh, it's a college track and, and uh, a group of college pupils are seeing something happening. So they come around to watch and, and Lydiard's just standing by the fence, basically watching their workout and they come over and they're chatting with him and uh, they, it begins. What's he doing? One asked repetitions. I explained I as Lydiard. Um, they all knew about those. How many is he going to do? I don't know. What times is he running? I'm not timing him. Well, they exchanged looks of disbelief. Was I supposed to be coaching one of New Zealand's best runners? Then I asked, how far round is the track? Anyway, <laughs> Teasing them. what a funny guy. Well, they knew then that I did not know what I was talking about. And uh, then he says, when Dick finished, uh, Dick, uh, let's see, what's his name? Richard Taylor is the runner. So when Dick finished and joined us, they asked him, how many did you do? Well, I didn't count them, Dick said. Well, what times were you running? Well, I didn't time them. I decided it was time to explain to these boys before they ran off laughing that times and numbers were unimportant. What mattered was the effect on Taylor of what he was doing. And he knew better than I did what he wanted to do and how to achieve it. Okay. So here you have it. What we've essentially articulated is in that one example, in that one workout, is that the thing you're trying to do in training is to achieve the adaptations that are going to make you better able to do the thing you want to do performance-wise, right? And at no point in time, according to Lydiard, I'm not making our claims right now, and I'm not telling you what you should think. According to Lydiard, at no point in time is pace part of that conversation because pace is a specific prescription that may or may not have anything to do with what your body needs in a given moment. And as a, as a due course is itself deceptive because of variables because of all the variables and here here's what he says um lydiard goes on to say training conditions vary constantly the state of the athlete must vary almost from day to day which as a consequence then the pace can't be the thing he, he says times and numbers were unimportant that's what he was saying when he was talking about um dick taylor there it's the training effect that we're after here okay 
here you have it then. If we can now summarize, what we've articulated to you is kind of a progression of approaches. And you see at the very beginning, Jack Daniels and all of his cohort were essentially trying to create a formula that could prescribe any potential desired outcome based off of given capacities. So if you can do this, you should be able to do this. And here's all the different things in the different workouts that coincide with it. Okay. And then you go to some of those in the middle who are saying like Jay Johnson, that effort is an important thing. Running by feel is an important thing uh, because it helps make sure you don't overdo your training, which is, which is something Jay Johnson references quite a bit uh, to his credit, no doubt. And then further still, but you need to be able to run a given pace in the race. So you should train at a pace. And then you get to Lydiard who says, you should never try to run a pace in a race because who knows if that pace is what your body should be doing in the race. You should always be doing what your body is capable of in the moment. Run, train, and race to your current capabilities first and always. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now you decide. <laughs> Which of those considerations is going to best produce for you the kind of running experience that you want for yourself? Mm -hmm. And if we can end it, Oh, go ahead, Andy. He's talked a lot. <laughs> but I'm going to just add a couple of things. One being something that I have said before in this podcast, if you are doing your training perfectly, that means what's written in your plan, despite how you feel, no matter how you mm. feel, you're doing it wrong. And I'm going According to, to Lydiard. Apply well. I'm, I, this is my opinion. This is just my opinion. Yep. So I'll humbly say. This oh, is Andy's my opinion. now going to tell you what you should do instead of Zach. This it's also good. the pace. If you run a pace, no matter how you're feeling in a race, you're doing it wrong. Race training or otherwise, yeah. Race training or otherwise, because if you go and this happens, and I see it so very often, where someone goes and they punish themselves running a pace, and then they suffer or aren't able to complete it or don't have the day that they could have if they would have dialed it back because they're married to the pace. And then I've also seen people that have limited themselves because they're on a pace. And so they have learned to not listen to what their body is doing, but learn to listen to the external feedback instead of the internal feedback that's going to serve us best. Mm. Yes. And ultimately what we have to consider is which is the fullest perspective the most complete perspective. And uh, there's there's a decision for you to make there. And we won't tell you which one to do, except we will. But <laughs> but if I, if I can end it uh, without doing that, um, let's just go ahead and end with a Jay Johnson quote here, which, by the way, this quote is often attributed to Thomas Jefferson, uh, but that's unconfirmed. So I'm going to call it a Jay Johnson quote because he wrote it in his book, Simple Marathon Training. If you want to do things you've never done before, then you have to do things you've never done before. And so consider that if you want to be a runner, you have yet to have become, then you need to do things you have not yet done. Hmm. All right, there you have it. Now you know, and we would love to hear your answer to the question, yeah. which consideration? Absolutely. Well, now on to the world of running. Quick word about A to Z runners. Lots of exciting things happening yet again. Let's kick quick it off. Quick word with, and quick running. <laughs> let's kick it off with a third place finish overall at the Tesla Hertz 150. 
That stands for 150 or so miles. It's more than that. Yes. Chad, congrats on podium yes. finish at Tesla Hertz. Excellent Very exciting. Just really, uh, he's, he's marching up the rankings here in these ultras, which is exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. We had a number of marathon performances as well over the weekend. Andrea running the Munich Marathon. Congrats on a very strong run there. Christy in Chicago running the Chicago Marathon after a, a large comeback from a difficult yeah. season. And so congrats, Christy, on making it all the way to and through the full marathon. And Zach with a marathon PR in Chicago, Woo! dropping nine minutes off his previous best. Huge. That's big. From one year ago. So, yes, that is big. Um, Laura with a strong half marathon. Dano running a 50K trail race, which, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe is his first ever, certainly 50K trail race. Um, and doing a fair job of it yeah. while he's at it and aaron with a first overall finish at the dirty des x trail run as well standing for des linden who awarded her her medal which was really cool and jogged with her for some of the race very or, cool or warm up or something yeah super, yeah super, super cool. cool well done all and lots of excitement there but let's go ahead and talk a little more about that chicago marathon yes the excitement was everywhere chicago marathon headlined by some amazing female performances. That seems to be a trend that there's a lot of strong finishes and world record attempts, as well as an American record in this specific event at the Chicago Marathon. So starting at the top with Ruth Chepnagetich. You've heard us say her name so many times here on the show. That's because she's won a bunch of marathon majors, and she went for the record today. Well, whether she <laughs> meant to or not, whether she knew I mean, she was or not, uh, she, she had a very worst close. Way. Yeah, I know. I <laughs> in see the it. Worst way for sure. Yeah. So Ruth won in a time of two fourteen eighteen. Whoa. Yeah, which was only like fifteen or so seconds off of. They don't have the, we don't have the world record sitting here. Oh man. Well, while Andy's finishing talking. Yeah, it was low, low 214. How fast did she go out in the first half, Andy? Yeah, well, you just moved my notes. So. No, but you, you know how fast <laughs> I it was. I don't have it memorized. 10544 no, for the first half. And her first 10K to boot was, was a PR. Uh, yeah. So if you're running a marathon and you go through the first 10K and a PR and the first half, not all that far off like the fastest half marathon ever run, how do you think you'll feel? For the second half. (laughs) The answer, by the way, is 14 seconds. She missed the world record by 14 seconds. So naturally, she went through 105.44 and she ran 2.14. So her second half was like four minutes. I'm doing quick math in my head. Which is still like 68 minutes. Four minutes minutes. slower than her first half. Um, Yeah, I'm not saying it was a slow second half. I'm just saying that's a lot of time you're adding on uh, that pace. That had to have hurt. That's my point. Yeah. That had to have been painful. It had to. It had to. Unless she's like, you know, she's kind of showing us that she's even better than human. Well, she is that. <laughs> More than human, It certainly maybe. is true. Yeah. So maybe she doesn't feel pain like the rest of us. No, but I, I don't think that's true. I think that she's just got a lot of grit in her. And when you see her run, <laughs> you can tell she's enduring. She was enduring to get to that finish line, and it was amazing. An amazing performance, an amazing show of strength to be able to continue to run so well, even coming off of a... 10k pr (laughs) early on absolutely phenomenal but she's also no stranger to running really fast marathons yes so chemnagetich is the first woman in history to break 218 on three 
separate mm-hmm. occasions. Bridget Koski, the world record holder, has done it twice, if I'm not mistaken. So there you go. Ruth Chem to get it. She is uh, definitely one of the strongest. She is the strongest female runner consistency wise for these low times that we've seen coming out from amazing performances so yeah Ruth Chepnagetich she is a huge hero of mine speaking of heroes well so first place was exciting how about second place (laughs) second overall female was American Emily Sisson yes and she won the record I say won the record because second I but know, she but she won the rec. I feel like that is, is a okay, different kind right. of winning. We there that's something a topic I want to go through at some point, different kinds of winning. But <laughs> she she was able to just really crush the record, which was already so fast and it was so long, you know, in between records previous to Kira D'Amato, but she ran an impressive time of where did I'm, I'm not sure that you actually have it listed. <laughs> 21830 Apparently, it's not on our document. But the key note here is Emily Sisson may or may not have already been projecting her effort to break some of these records. And that's not too surprising, especially because, as you should know, she also currently holds the half marathon American record as well. Yep. So it's 218.29. I should. Sorry, guys. Apparently, I need to be more prepared. Um, <laughs> and that was like an extreme, obviously an extremely fast time. And I wanted to mention that her best 5K was later in the race. She ran her best 5K from 35K to 40K, and she ran 16.19. That's definitely the way you want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. want your final 10K to be your fastest if you're uh, feeling good. Hopefully, she was you know, feeling strong Although that was that her fast, fastest so 5K she continued to push the pace at the end from 40k to finish she went even faster as she ran it in seven minutes which is 1556 5k pace yeah so just just rocking and rolling and no surprise that with a half marathon time look what she has run no surprise that uh when she says i think i'm in shape to do this that in fact she was but what's amazing is just how difficult it is to run that fast and how well executed as andy noted accelerating through the final 7k Mm -hmm. and more that's impressive yeah it puts her number 22 on the all-time world marathon list 22 and this day and age with how many strong performances you've heard us speak of on the a to z running podcast even just in the last three years that is that is huge and very exciting for american distance running on the women's side I did read an article. There's so many interesting articles out there right now about Emily Sisson, but I found it very cool that her college coach called it out. He said that once the marathon legends of that time in the early 2000, was it 2015? I think he said this. He was projecting that Emily Sisson would be the hero of female American distance running. Mm. And he had seen that she was had the capabilities or that her strengths would be in the marathon, even though at that time she hadn't run, run one yet. That was back in 2015. She's only run three marathons. And here now in 2022, it has come to fruition, these things that he projected about her. Very, very exciting. I love Des Linden tweeted about how Emily Sisson was proving everything we knew about marathoning wrong because she proved that marathon can be a sprint. Because <laughs> in the end, she was oh, running so fast. I, I thought it was clever. I thought it was clever. Yeah. Well, not all of us can sprint in a marathon, but she certainly did there in the last um, last 
bit of the marathon. Third place was Vivian Kiplagat in a time of 2.20.52. And the second American was Susanna Sullivan in a time of 2.25.14. And I love a little bit of the backstory in this. She ran for Notre Dame. And her PR in the 5K was 16.56, and she ran near that, not quite that, but near that pace for an entire marathon now in 2022. So, Well, she's clearly in a lot exciting. better shape than she was then. Well, it's exciting. You know, I, I'm about to talk to some middle schoolers, and and I'm kind of passing the torch. One of the girls broke my middle school record in, the, in cross country back in what 2001 i think were you in middle school 70 (laughs) years ago hey um and so anyway i'm gonna be talking to them but like how you can continue to get better and better that it's a journey that's longer than just a few years it was originally thought like you know girls and guys too but you'd be done running by time you're you know in your mid-20s and here i am at 34 running the fastest that i have so little andy from 2001 (laughs) wouldn't be so displeased with what the 30s look like so do you think they'll appreciate a dinosaur telling them hey i am not stop it uh in a middle schooler's eyes uh. speaking of moms and women in their 30s sarah vaughn ran her i think this is her second she ran her debut recently in the marathon of 226 23 becoming the third american in this race and uh that's a solid pr for her and previous podcast guest mckenna morley of the usa was 10th place fifth american in a debut time of 230 28 that's her debut debut not bad not bad at all nope well, on the men's side of the race, it wasn't quite as exciting because no one was going out at, you know, under world record pace for the first half. But we have to say that uh, for a Chicago marathon, uh, it was an impressive performance by Benson Kipruto, who late in the race put on some moves that was more or less burying the field, which is difficult to do at that level, as we've met, said many times. And in a personal best time, he ran 204 34 mm-hmm. for the win. Yeah, and you'll remember he won Boston, and he was re- he put the herd on as well. It wasn't quite as fast for the Chicago Marathon that he uh, put the herd on in, in Boston, but he did a similar strategy, and it worked both times. So to win his second marathon major, that is no small thing. Right about that. Now, speaking of no small things, Connor Mance of the United States was running his debut and was really talking it up ahead of time. Yeah. And me, being a pessimist as I am, was highly skeptical uh. as he's basically <laughs> saying things that – I felt were uh, pretty bold statements. Yeah, like I casually going through at 204 for, or I'm sorry, 104 for his first half. Like, oh, I'm just going to plan on a conservative 104. Well, I'm sure it'll feel conservative <laughs> at the time, but it's, you know it's how it's not does conservative it feel later, right? by any stretch. But he, well, in any event, was he able to hold. Indeed, did he ran what is the second fastest debut by an American man other than Leonard Careers 207.56 by finishing 208.16. And we don't have it sitting right in front of us here, but I think he was like seventh overall, um, which, you know, very fast run, very impressive performance for his first marathon. But it was a day for people to run yes. great performances. Yes. And behind Connor Mance, three other Americans also ran under 210, including Zach Panning, who of runs Michigan. for Woohoo! <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, always, I always, I always root he, he for lives Zach in Michigan. Panning because I don't know if he's from Michigan. Is he? From he Michigan? lives in Michigan. He trains in Michigan, and I, I feel like I've been cheering him on for a long time. Well, okay. I, I, so good that's job, cool. Zach Panning. Good job, Zach. <laughs> so he ran two hundred nine twenty eight, eleventh uh, place overall. Matt McDonald of BAA ran two hundred nine forty eight mm-hmm. for twelfth, and Nico Montanez of Mammoth Track Club 
ran 209.59, yeah. which, you know, just uh, slipped right under 210. And that's impressive. That's impressive for a number of reasons. One, because there's only two other occasions when four or more Americans have run under 210. And aside from, we're going to just set aside the 2020 Marathon Project, which was itself an Unreal. anomaly for a number of reasons. <laughs> um, basically, it was the most perfectly crafted marathon you could probably have. And in that one, seven guys ran under 210, which is great. Um, but in any other normal race scenario, it's only ever once happened where four men of the United States have run under 210 at once. And it was, think about these four for a second, Meb Keflazigi, Ryan Hall, Abdi Abdurrahman, and Dathan Ritzenhain. Oh, legends. Now there's four marathon names for you. I don't know. I just hear, I just feel pumped whenever you say those names. I don't know. Okay. Like they're just, it makes me feel good about. because when you were a child, about... those were the people inspiring Exactly. You. That's true. That's true. And that was in the, the 2012 Olympic trials to boot. So yes, this was a record setting race. And if it wasn't, you know, breaking world records in this instance for the men, there were many personal best performances mm -hmm. at the highest levels all the way through to everyone mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. And we have had Dathan Ritzenhain on the show and we talked about the marathon project and that was led by Martin Hare, who's been on our podcast and he ran a time of two eight fifty nine then. So just all these amazing men in distance running as well. It's an exciting time to be a fan. Speaking of being a fan and previous guests at the BAA Women's 10K, previous guest Erica Kemp won in 32-14 after some difficult ups and downs in, in her training and some hiccups. I think she got sick as well as injury. So she came through in a very strong winning performance running that fast time of 32-14. And she wrote on her Instagram, your friendly reminder to stay the course. Easier said than done, but those handful of days where the stars, stars align and everything works out are 100% worth it. Mm. So not every race is going to be your best race ever, but they will come. So stay stay consistent, keep your fitness, and uh, do all those things that you can do to stay to stay in it and look towards your future goals. Well, speaking of looking towards future <laughs> goals, interesting transition because our final note here for World of Running update is – an interesting technology that is being branded as a great way for runners to have some fun competitiveness in their training, mm. which of course, as you probably know by our insinuations, we already are adamantly opposed to this well, new technology. Okay, well, we'll there see. might be a place um, for it. Probably not in everyday training. Not likely in my <laughs> opinion, but okay, here's yeah. what it is. Okay, the ghost pacer is the tool, the technology, and what it is is it's an AR, augmented reality, um, device that you wear glasses and if you're familiar with the concept of ar versus vr ar is when you take your natural environment and you do some different things to it that's why it's augmenting reality um, it's not fully virtual and so these glasses you they're just like sunglasses basically yeah. but they have a, a screen built into them because then while you're running they project in your vision uh, a really kind of crazy looking well, who knows if uh, three-dimensional model? Yeah. yeah, I'm sure there's. A, I'm sure there's like Maybe that's there's a prototype display. Avatars. It, I mean, they have their website up avatars. and running. Maybe so. they make a version of you. You. That'd be cool. It I mean, looks like yourself running. But a, a better one, you know, with less uh, acne and. Wow. <laughs> uh, that's funny. You know, there's a place called Metaverse that you could probably oh, spend time on if I you want to no, recreate I'm not reality. Super and, interested. All right, so. The point here is what they do is they basically take this um, this avatar and they project it in your vision to run whatever the kind of like the pace or Yeah, you can thing. program you, a pace. You decide what you want yeah. it to do. And so you're essentially running with a fake person. <laughs> yeah. And having that inspire or motivate you to try or set a pace for you so you don't have to like 
do it yourself and you can just follow it. Things like that. All right. Yeah. So, so this would be like a virtual pacer, essentially. Which, if you were listening at all to our conversation <laughs> about pace in this topic prior to the World of Running updates here, then you know how we feel about this already. Um, but the, the interesting connection here is that what they're essentially doing is they're trying to, um, in the interest of like fun and lively competitiveness, they're trying to make you a worse runner no. because they're taking away your <laughs> no, intuitiveness. They don't realize that that's what, I mean, obviously they of don't Of course they're not deliberately doing yeah, that, Andy. I'm being sarcastic. Okay, Mr. Okay. Sarcasm. Um, I, I... No, but but here's here's my, my straightforward opinion without my uh -huh. cynicism uh, casted into it, is these kinds of things are tons of fun. Zwift, for example, which is against, you know, other humans and everything, but there's an element in Zwift of like, I can race myself and things like that. Um, and I, I, I've had loads of fun with that in the past, yeah. personally, um, because there is a place for such things that can be loads of fun yeah um however these things are and will always be a kind of handicap for the more valuable experience that helps us achieve our performance goals mm. so when used for a this would be a kind of fun thing to do now and again well uh, sure but never are these things the best option for a default protocol or approach to bettering ourselves as an athlete that's my straightforward opinion very interesting thing, though, and I understand how they got this idea for a myriad of reasons. But I often, when I'm running alone in a race, I imagine a person in front of me. And I keep my eyes on her ponytail, this imaginary thing. <laughs> so the the benefit is having something, it feels like it's pulling you along and that keeps your eyes up, which I think is the most beneficial piece of the whole puzzle to keep your eyes up. However, I feel that if you're using AR on the roads, that actually is not a good idea because of augmenting your reality, which mm. you need to be aware of. A, not that it's going to keep you from seeing traffic, but it could distract you. So I, I, I'm kind of on a little bunny trail here, but I understand how they got that. It's better to probably use your imagination because you can bring that with you anywhere you go rather than having something that you actually put on your face and use um, but we'll see. I haven't tried it before. Maybe they'll want to send it to us so we can give I it a go. I doubt they will after everything I just said. <laughs> so, well, I thought it was interesting because on their website, they have Elliot Kipchoge's quote, you cannot train alone and expect to run a fast time, but you are actually still training alone. <laughs> but And it's also a person that's in front of you, not beside you, which is a different dynamic, I think, completely. I think more of a pacer role, which would be really selective for something like, you know, pulling you along in, in a workout or in, let's say, a, a race itself. You know, they have the, the lights that go around the track now. Maybe they'll give them all a pair of, <laughs> a pair of glasses for their own uh, personal pace setters. I'm not sure. It'd be very interesting. Well, if you want to have a little bit of fun and entertainment, another thing to do is to go find the Twitter post about uh, this yeah. technology and read the comments and replies uh, because there's there's a whole lot of great uh, reactions yeah, yeah. to these things. Um, ultimately, what we come back to with these kinds of things is that the direction that running technologies are often trying to go is they're trying to take away from us the decision-making right. component. Right. And they're trying to automate. Well, they're yeah, they're trying to yeah. automate the function of running um, and training. And our point to that is always simply, um, you don't want to automate the decisions of running yeah. training because you need to be making them because none of those things actually know how your body's doing. Some of them get closer to it, by the way. There are technologies that are intended to be able to evaluate 
your body's current state of you know, exertion, exhaustion, all of those things, and then make those decisions for you accordingly. Um, but once again, still there's missing something. Yeah. They are not perfect. And as a consequence, there's only one thing that is most effective at doing the thing and making the decision you need to make in a moment. And that mm -hmm. is you when yes. you are an intuitive runner. I have mentioned it and like dropped little little bits here and there in the last several episodes, but developing your focus is an, a very, very important thing to do as a runner. And things like this AR pacer or even pacers in real life, like for workouts and things, can distract you from developing your focus because you are able to utilize it. It works. Mm. It does work. It does help you go faster or achieve certain um, rhythmic ideals and so it's easy to think okay this is good for me but if you're not able to develop that yourself like zach said it also can be a handicap well i then want to thank matt who sent this my way to see this news i don't think i would have found it without him sending it to me so if you see something out there you think is interesting please send it our way we'd love to take a look at it you want to hear zach's cynical and sarcastic remarks <laughs> if you want to hear what Zach has to say about it. Which, which probably don't. So. Oh, anyway. that's funny. Anyway, uh, speaking of things like focus and flow, we're going to be talking about that topic soon on air as well. So stick around for that a little bit more on how we interact with those concepts as runners. It's going to be very interesting. Mm -hmm. However, ultimately, at the moment, you likely have a question. And we certainly have some kind of an answer. Whether it's helpful or not, time will tell. But... If you want to share that question with us, go to adzrunning.com slash question. Put all the details and the relevant context there so that we can understand as fully as possible your situation. And then we'll talk about it on air at the end of the month. And we always look forward to that being our favorite episode mm -hmm. every month. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for joining us. And we'll talk to you next week.